Shall we begin? Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure? It's time. It's time. Yeah, you need to say it's time. It's time. Help. I need somebody. Help. Don't ask me a question. If you don't want to hear what my answer is, I'm going to answer it. Not just anybody. You know I need someone. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again. Shock therapy happening right now on the what? What kind of podcast is Vent Lab? <laughs> I I forgot what the podcast name was. That's a little embarrassing. It's Vent Lab podcast. Once a month, we do uh, we do shock therapy where we answer real questions in a real uh, manner. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe the manners. Does that roll off the tongue? <laughs> this is John Wesley Crockett. Oh my goodness, the full name. Rebecca's husband. Ooh. Speaking of Rebecca, yeah. she is not here. Listen her. She's not feeling too well. No. But it only, you know, it's only fair. I wasn't here for shock therapy last month. That's true. So now Rebecca gets Damn. this week off. Yeah. Rebecca wasn't feeling good this afternoon. Nathan was making his way here podcast she's like you guys just take it so she's off resting and hopefully getting it better so today we're yeah. doing guy talk <laughs> we're talking monster about- trucks and meltdowns just kidding <laughs> <laughs> oh, that God. actually kind of would be kind of a fun segment i don't Mon- know how we would connect those monster but- trucks and meltdowns <laughs> maybe here's one <laughs> oh, why we should talk about toxic masculinity why haven't why Ooh, didn't that man. come across our mind when we were brainstorming True. Mon- Listen, guys, it's okay to like monster trucks and have meltdowns. Yeah. It's true. I've seen it happen in both arenas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, someone time? at the same time at a monster truck rally, like that family meltdown. Like oh, oh, going gosh. down to like, you know, meet and greet with like the drivers. And <laughs> it was like they, their need wasn't being met. And they were letting everyone know they were displeased. Oh, nice. Having a meltdown. Moment. So it was one of those, one of the situations where the, the parents are are also children. Yes. Yeah, it was kind the of whole that family of, yeah. of children. That's always good. That's healthy. That's really healthy. It was a PDA moment. Public display of aggression, as I would like to say. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of point out. <laughs> I, I've had a few of those. Everyone was like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, but no. Yeah, PDA. Yeah, used toxic to be a real masculinity problem. moments. Those are uh, those are real. That's a real thing. Yeah. All right, we'll throw it on the list if okay. we uh, if we run out of topics. Then we will uh, we'll we'll throw that in at the end and if we have trucks. time. If if we have time. If we have time. I don't know a lot about monster trucks, yeah. but I did see Gravedigger one time. It's amazing. He's very big. He's, <laughs> such, a, he's such a big boy. Yeah, <laughs> a big boy. He, he big does boy. flips and stuff in the air with his vehicle. Yeah, like that's insane. Gymnastics. Basically, it's that <laughs> cars. All right. Should we just get uh? Let's should just, we get started? Have we have we bantered long enough? I think so. Time to get into the right. real stuff. Yeah. Um, the first text we got in, Jay West, do you want to read it? Yeah, I'll read it. This okay. one, is, I mean, this is just a real scenario. It says this person texted in uh, that they have employees um, under their care that they're trying to feed. There's no businesses in the queue. It says that the market is dried up because the real estate market is stuck. Uh, so what should I do to feed not only my family, but their families? So this is like hitting home as well as the other homes under their care. This is a tough one. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm not a business owner. Yeah. But the th- that the thought of that situation scares me. Yeah. So Yeah, when my dad owned his business for 22 years, my dad owned a printing company and um the last really the last 2 years of it, this is around 9/11. So in 2001, um when everything just kind of stopped happening from 9/11, um my dad for a solid year to make sure that his employees are trying to be taken care of fiscally with just the decline in the printing market, the decline for business coming in, the outgoing of business. There's not enough business, but he's got employees. Mm -hmm. I saw my dad make really hard decisions where he wasn't receiving an income for months and months and months so that his employees could be paid. Um, And I didn't know that until when the business was kind of all said and done, when things were just having to kind of slowly close down. Mm -hmm. It was like in the background. And that was one of the things that impacted me about my dad trying to be diligent. And that necessarily speaks to this, this moment, but 
in some way, just trying to figure out a way to not only take care of your family, but those under your care. And there's no real easy answer because there's sacrifice all around. Right. And sometimes it feels really personal. Like you take it personally, like all of a sudden you're not feeling equipped or maybe you don't feel good enough to handle or what did I do wrong? And you start inflicting, you know, blame or guilt on yourself. But with this scenario, uh, there's no real easy answer of just you know investigating your options, being closely connected with others, maybe in business. That might be a solution if you're not already, but just trying to seek out some of those solution helps and not feeling guilt for something that's kind of out of your control you yeah. know, in the, in the face of a declining market or a stagnant market, or just the fact that maybe no one's buying or no one's selling. Um, you know, there's definitely a tough decision there, but it's not anything you should take personally like you failed or something. Yeah. I, it's, it's hard because you can definitely tell that they take on the responsibility of the families of their employees, um, which I think makes them a good employer for one thing. Um, yeah. But that extra responsibility of trying to balance feeding their own family and then yeah. feeding the families of their employees. Like, is there is there a line there or do you just all starve together? Like, yeah, there's no easy answer for that because you're like, wait, do we do we go ahead and put the effort in filling out paperwork for an employment? You know, do we want to take that step? Is there a conviction not to do that? You know, or someone's like, no, I'm not going to. Mm-hmm ask the government for help. And again, there's no shame or guilt in that for a season or a time that you may f- be facing decline personally and those, again, employees under your care. But that's a tough one because I think it just hits home. And I've watched it, like I said, I watched it go with my dad when his business had to close down. Um, and there was layers upon that in his story of just feeling that, like, what did I do? Mm-hmm. And then what do I do? And he really pressed in for counsel and guidance you know, from other businessmen and women and they really took really great action steps in meeting some of those needs, even though you know his business had to shut down. But it kind of helped in this scenario. Um, that's what came to mind when I saw this come through. Mm. I, I'm trying to put myself in that situation. Um, you hear stories of people who are going through situations where they it seemed like the only correct decision would just be to shut the whole business down. But Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, they persevered and then, you know, everything came out well. But then you also hear stories of people who run into these situations and like your, like your dad, where they just have to close the business down and, and go on. I I think if I was in this situation, I'd be trying to figure out which one was the correct response. Like, like for a situation like that, is that something that you're just like, all right, kids, hunker down and pray because this is going to be a wild ride. Or yeah. do you try to to take a step of wisdom and and close the business? Yeah, you know. Or I, I guess this situation is where wisdom would would come into play. Yeah. From a Christian perspective, for sure. I mean, you said it off the bat to pray. I mean, just to bathe it in prayer. Like you're just you're constantly thinking it. You're 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 laying it before the Lord. You're praying about the solution as well as the action. And I think there's a lot to say about both of those, putting those into motion. I think, you know, going into it without prayer and considering what God's wisdom uh, and guiding you in that process. I mean, that's a, that's a big gap and that's just something that comes with personal growth. But if you have a support system in place, those people who may be doing that on your behalf will be able to guide you in that. And that's all, that's a great reinforcer. And that's one thing also, you know, with the situation with my dad, in his business is that they were connected to a church family that really cared for them and showed up tangibly, whether it be food related needs or just, you know, paying a bill that needed to be paid. I mean, it was just like cool things happen Mm -hmm. that they didn't even ask for, but they stayed connected. They were transparent about this is what's going on in our world. The business may have to close. Thank you for, you know, caring for us. And people just stepped up like willingly, not even having a, a menu item or things saying, here's what they need. It was just like people like, I just felt impressed to just meet this need for you. Let me take care of that. And it was like, wow. Hmm. And uh, from that, we saw, you know, great things happen where um, my dad was able to get, you know, employed at another location and, and just things worked out, but it just took time. And I think that's another tough part about this is that's just going to take time. Yeah. Um, but just keep knocking on doors and asking those questions and having that support system will be one of the biggest things and all of that. And like you said, Nathan, just through prayer. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, 
maybe that's an obvious step, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it just, it just, I guess it just depends on how you're, how you're looking at the situation. The thing is, is that, I mean, I mean, miracles happen, but you could spend 24 hours straight in prayer and it's not going to be all rainbow and sunshine immediately. I mean, it, okay, it could happen. Like sure. I said, rainbows, or rainbows happen. <laughs> miracles happen. Yeah. But um, it's still a sucky situation. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, and so I, I think wisdom is definitely a necessity, but then also just perseverance. If the wisdom that you're receiving is telling you to stick through it, yeah, or whatever you need. If if wisdom is telling you to, to get the heck out of there, yeah, you know, yeah, because there's great value in this person's story that everything they've learned, everything they've applied, even with this situation, it, it may go away. They still have enough to know what to do to, to take the next step. Like it's it's prepared them to be able to take this to the next step. And I hope that that comes across as a positive and as an encouragement because it's not that you've, again, you got a lot of things listed and the market is dried up. Okay. That has nothing to do with you personally. That's something that was out of your control, but what you can control is in the immediate near future of you applying what you know and taking that step with wisdom, like you said, and being able to just move forward in what that direction looks like. Does, does the Bible say anything about, uh, about business owners specifically? I mean, there's principles and concepts that apply, but as far as saying like business owner, I mean, there's no like, uh, parables or anything of like, absolutely this guy's business was going, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> was there, or was there? Well, so in the agricultural time of, you know, the context of the scripture, say, for example, in the gospels, um, It'd be a, like Jesus would say, you know, this parable regarding the farmer. Right. Or this person went to sow seed and some of this seed fell on rocky soil or good soil. And, you know, it's like it, there's there's concepts and principles that come from that uh, to keep the focus and perspective of, you know, the wisdom and the prayer and the connection to God, the connection to people that can apply from that. But ultimately mm-hmm. it goes back to the one who's in control is not us. The one who's in control is Jesus. Yeah. Um, and that's where the attention getter in all of these you know, circumstances and situations that we go through is where is my focus? And that's a really great thing in everything we encounter, whether it be negative or positive, where's my focus? You know, cause the person who may, you know, declare a lot of success or a lot of tangible things that people would say, man, they really have it made internally. They may be so self inward focused that there's no yeah. thought of, of God being evidence in their life or Christ being evidence. So, it can go both ways. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes the situations come up to correct our focus. Yeah. Um, whether or not this situation, you know, if that's why I, I have no idea. Correct. Um, yeah. But I, I, that's, that's one of those things I always try to, whenever I'm in a, a bad situation is like, try to figure out why. In yeah. fact, for me, it's almost easier to be in a situation that I had no control over rather than yeah. be in a situation that I got myself in. Yeah. Because if it's a situation that I have no control over, then I start looking around going, all right, where's the lesson here? Yeah. Like, <laughs> where's know, the lesson? All right, I'm on to you. Where's, where is it? <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. What am I supposed to learn? Whereas if it's something that I got myself into, then, you know, it's possible that there is no lesson. Or maybe you just have to look harder for those. I don't know. Yeah, when uh, Rebecca and I were young married, Zacchaeus was super small. He was, I think, less than two years old. But uh, I was working at a print company in Omaha part-time while doing part-time ministry and going to school, just trying to make ends meet. Uh, Rebecca's stay-at-home mom was Zacchaeus at that time, working at home and doing things. But long story short, there was a day where my employer said, he'd take you to lunch. I was like, oh, cool, nice. Maybe it's going to be a promotion. You know, here I am part-time. I'm, I'm going above and beyond hours, but just trying to make it all work. On the contrary, um, we've had a decline and we've lost some big clients and I have to eliminate your position. Hmm. Oh, here I was in my perspective, promotions coming toward me. Right. I've been doing all the right things, I think. And then completely out of my control, his control, I have to eliminate your position. And there's two, actually two other employees I have to eliminate. Devastated, you know, he's like, I care for you. You've done a great job. You've done a really great job in this position. I just can't keep supporting it. And so... 
you know, some of the realness of knowing that personal feeling of being completely deflated, thinking, what did I do wrong? But I had to go back to these things were out of my control. But knowing what I know now and how to take that into the next step uh, allowed me to be effective because I had to get beyond myself. I had to get back, you know, back into the wisdom of there's something bigger here beyond me, but I've been equipped. Mm-hmm. And where is my focus? And um, as tough as that was, you know, there was a lot of adjustments we had to do financially and how we did groceries or no groceries. And then just again, who we were connected with, people responded to those needs to help sustain us through that. Um, and hopefully that comes as an encouragement to this uh, this listener who texted in this real moment uh, that they would be able to see God's hand work and supply when those are deep seated you know cares on your heart. Mm-hmm. And I hope that through you know your prayers and your <coughs> wisdom seeking the Lord that you would feel like He's fulfilling those things and you're seeing His hand do great things uh, beyond you. Yeah. So I yeah I I agree that it's just a uh, take this opportunity to check your focus. And, and make sure that you're, yeah. you're focused on the right thing. As far as yeah. the last question in there, uh, overall question was, what should I do to feed my family and their yeah. families? Um, if that's like a, a legitimate, legitimate concern where yeah. you're running out of money and food, there's different places that, you know, food banks and whatnot. Little plug for my radio station that I work at. Yeah. <laughs> Life 88.5 is doing uh, food collection events all yeah. this year. So great. There's uh, there's one going on Thursday, March 11th, another on April 8th, one April 24th. Basically, there's two every month. And so if you just go to their website, then you can find out all the details about that um, and, uh, and get some food for your family. It's good. And theirs. Yeah. And also check in with local churches. Because I, I know, I don't know about your church, but I know our church, our pastor will get calls yeah. just all the time in yep. the middle of the week saying, hey, I need this or whatever. We have like a, a neighbor helping neighbor thing where we do, we just, people donate clothes and household items and stuff. And then we'll have events throughout the year where we just open yeah. those up to the public for anybody who needs them. And they'll get calls all the time. Hey, we need a coat this size. Do you have one? Yeah. And a lot of time we do. And so... um that's a really good, really good thing to keep in mind. Should things get real, real uh, saucy? Yeah. <laughs> real spicy. There's a chapter and passage in the book of Acts in the New Testament that talks about how the believers not just broke bread, like had meals together, but they actually gave up their belongings as others had need. And I think, Nathan, you pointing out the fact that local churches, you know, Christ-following, Bible-believing churches who are doing the work of the ministry, not for their name, but for the glory of God, uh, will have tangible things to be able to give away and not expect anything in return. Um, our church family has done that. There's communities uh, within Leavenworth County that other churches I know of that we partner together. And when those tangible things become aware, if one church doesn't have it, more than likely another church will. Mm-hmm. If one church can't pay for it, more than likely another church will find a way. Um, and even though it's not outright giving cash, it's not ever anything like that where they're just, you know, here, here's some cash. Right. They say, what's your immediate need? And usually it's like trying to keep their power on, their water on, maybe help with rent, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, whether a church is like, you know, we may not be able to do that, but here's what we can do. And if it meets need, by all means, be willing to accept it. No guilt. There's no expectation. Um, but just also anticipate that you just know that you're going to be cared for and prayed for because it's it's a big deal to the local church that has a missional focus on the gospel. And that's just part of their outflow. Yeah. So that's cool. Good to hear that your church is doing that. Didn't doubt that, that your church did that. It's just cool as a reminder uh, that it's happening yeah, you know, I, all over. I've always thought that was cool. Um, one last thing, yeah. and then we can move on to the question. Um, I've just remembered that Michael Todd in Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, he has just started a series called Paper Chasers. Really? And it's, as you can probably guess, financially based. Um, but that might be something good for this individual to check out. Um, only one message in so far. Yeah. He just started it thus last Sunday. But for the most part, the premise is basically what we've talked about here of just making sure that your focus yeah. is right and everything else kind of falls in order. Yeah. And so... Um, in fact, one of the points, a little spoiler, <laughs> uh, one of his points was that paper chases purpose. So if you chase your purpose, yeah. then the paper just kind of follows you. So anyway, uh, we can, we can move on to our second question. J. West. All right. This one comes from 
a mom uh, would anticipate. She says, hey there, my daughter is in seventh grade and here's one of her friends at school often talk about no longer identifying as female. How should I approach this with my daughter? Does the Bible have a quote-unquote help section <laughs> uh, with this? That's good. Um, help section, that's good. What does the scripture say about that? I thought the whole Bible was a help section. Man, you talk about, yeah, it's like the full counsel of God right there. Well, yeah. bam, uh, coming at you. But I think that what a real life scenario we're seeing in our culture, certainly at our schools. And uh, I know just with my own daughter, just it's, a, it's an ongoing conversation, not just from school, but just from social media. Uh, way other students, whether it be around her same age, just how they would identify themselves or question you know, their identity. I think what's really important in all of this, like, like we do shock therapy, is to go back to what the Word of God says. Um, so we're going to step back for a moment to Genesis. Whoa. Because there's a verse, uh, and Genesis is the first book uh, of the Scripture, but it, it goes back to address this, and this is something we've talked about as a family, um, because... God created you in his image and likeness. Listen to what the scripture says uh, in Genesis chapter 1. So it says, uh, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all these great things, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. And some people just hear that and like, Oh, so just the man. Well, hold on. Uh, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish and the sea and the birds, the air. Every living creature that moves on this earth, it's under your care. So what's important to understand from this foundation, this passage, is that number one, God created human beings. So right there, boom. Uh, and they have dominion, authority. Second of all, God created us in His image, so we reflect who He is. We're not equal with God we reflect his image. And then lastly, God created us in his image as what? Male and female. So you give this as a basis because the listener texted in, you know, where's this at in scripture? This is a great place to start because number one, Satan, the enemy wants to rob you of your identity because you bear God's image. He doesn't like that because what, what does Satan want? Well, we know from the scripture that he wants to be equal with God. So he's fallen because he abused the relationship he had. So he's a fallen angel. So he is the uh, adversary, so he's going to criticize and come after and get people to doubt even their very existence as either male or female in our culture because this is becoming a cultural uh, norm that we're seeing just because it's a social accepted issue um, or a socially accepted conversation as, yeah, you can change your, uh, your identity or your gender. There's a problem with that. The problem is, is that it's getting people to buy into the lie of the enemy rather than keeping the truth of who God created you to be. And so because you're an image bearer, you reflect his image. And here's one of the things that we see in scripture is to dwell on this, is that God created you. If you can embrace that, you can embrace the fact that he created you in his image. And when you take that next step by embracing that, that you understand that your role as male or female, that is a radical and unique way of being devoted to the Lord that God's going to give you confidence. God will give you position as well as God will give you the clear understanding of how he created you. So that causes you to walk not only closer with him, but to walk away from the lies of the enemy. This is something that's just plaguing our culture now in these days. And people will talk about, you know, this is something they're wanting more acceptance on. No, I get that. And we see it happen in, in ministry world and church. But it's getting back to biblical truth and helping people not live under an umbrella of darkness where they're being robbed of who they truly are because they're hearing a socially mixed message, but rather hearing the truth of God's love and God's kindness and how they, He created them to reflect His glory and His greatness. And so um, we talk about love. You know, the greatest thing of all of this is that it's God's love. It, love covers over a multitude of sins and it brings people even non-identifying people, you might even see that on some applications or some, you know, paperwork, you know, what gender do you identify? You know, even in some of those positions, God still gives an open door through repentance and faith to be restored and understand his best for their life as either male or female. Um, so I just, you know, I want to encourage you as one parent to another, it's a tough conversation when you feel like your kids are just getting bombarded with information or even just pressure, just pressure to be like, no, you have to accept this person. Yeah, you do have to accept this person, but God's best for them is to see their view change and who they really are. Um, and it's a, it's a delicate thing. It's a process, but man, 
through grace and faith and love from God, it'll just help bring that to light. And even if it doesn't, there's still a time frame where they can go back and say, that person stood as an advocate for me, for God's truth. Even if they may not be on the same page as you of what you believe, if you stand for God's truth, that will override that struggle because they can see the heartbeat of God in you and through you to give them counsel. So um, I always encourage you to, to be strong in that um, because it's a, it's a tough, but it's a good conversation to have. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's anything to add to that. I, we saw it um, when Grace was in sixth grade. She would come home, um, not often, but have these little sparks of like my, you know, my friend at school was dealing with this, and I thought, hmm, I wonder what message or what information is coming across. And then just they're just talking about it because they don't really know what to say, mm-hmm. but they're seeking. And I think there's a lot that the church can do in that when people are seeking, especially with you know when it comes down to they're not happy that they're either male or female and what to do about that. Well, to find happiness and joy in who Christ created you to be. That's, that can be the primary focus and it can be liberating. Yeah. And, you know, for grace, I mean, we just, again, in our household, we have open conversation about anything and everything. And a lot of it's from a lot of social pressures yeah, and social agendas and things like that. Yeah. I think the, the text says that, uh, daughters in seventh grade so that's like 12 or 13 something like that yeah and basically right at the beginning of arguably one of the most important periods of their life so formidable like the the teenage years i mean how how those years go can really make or break a person down the road i mean the the life lessons that they learn the the wisdom that they're given um, it all orchestrates what direction they go down the road. Um, and so I, I, I think that's a very large reason, a- along with the fact that they're hearing all these things at school and everything. Yeah, It's why we need like a, a youth group. That's why you need the ministry in the church yeah. that's directed towards these teenagers, these young adults in some instances, um, that are going through stuff that we could have never imagined. Yeah, I think I think whenever I was in seventh grade, my parents' biggest fear, as far as like what I was hearing from like the kids I was playing soccer with, I was mm-hmm. homeschooled. So the only time I ever encountered people that weren't from the church or my siblings was whenever I was playing soccer. Um, I can only imagine that like the the scariest thing for them was like homosexuality was like what the yeah. like the acceptance and like what was being preached of course that was uh, 12 years ago and as a kid i would have i wouldn't have oh gosh as a as a 12 year old if yeah. somebody came to me and was like yeah i'm changing genders i would have been like i didn't know you could do that yeah. like what <laughs> totally <laughs> but it, it's just mm-hmm. because information is so accessible nowadays yeah it's really um accelerated these, good word to use. these yeah. thought processes that people have, how early they start having them, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it makes me question, um, <clears throat> the, the old birds and the bees talk, how early yeah. do you have that conversation? I heard whenever I was younger, you know, you'd see people joke about it on TV or something like that. And it was always like their 16 year old kid. Whereas now I've heard as young as like, seven mm-hmm. maybe six um and so is that is that is there like a a, a a line where like don't let them cross this age limit without having yeah. this conversation or is it just kind of like child to child you just kind of gotta know your kid and yeah i think it's a really great framework that you just gave as far as an age um, you know, each child under your, in your household, I mean, it's going to handle a little bit different, but there's nothing wrong with starting the conversation, you know, as early as the age you just mentioned, you know, whether it be five, six, seven, you know, eight is a great number. Don't let it go too long past eight because you may miss the window because the immediacy of what's available at their fingertips, uh, there may be something they come across accidentally that now exposes them to information or even visuals that, mm-hmm. you know, entertain their thought process without any foundation, and that's dangerous, um, not just in that regard, but for anything. But I would say as early as possible because 
biblical Christianity gives a framework that God is the author and design of human sexuality. Mm-hmm. So he gives the foundation, but also the framework. And as parents, it's having confidence in yourself, being able to have a conversation, even if you feel like it's awkward, you can begin somewhere, even you may feel insecure about it, you can have a confidence that God gives to share about their purpose and value and how they arrived Mm -hmm. and the beauty of how that arrives. And so, you know, as they get older, you can have a little more transparent conversations, you know, because as they get older, there's more of an understanding, but you can start, like you said, birds in the bees, that's fine. Start somewhere and then let that just kind of blossom because the best thing when you have a biblical framework you know, when we just talked about God created human beings, image and likeness, male and female, and he created them, that already right there gives you a foundation to then go from. And I think there's a lot of health to that. So your child feels more equipped. So if they hear something that sounds really kind of out there, be like, nah, and they're not as caught off guard right. or enticed maybe. But I think if anything, regardless, one of the subjects of human sexuality is one of the biggest attention getters because it's one of those mysterious things everyone's wanting to know about. Mm-hmm. And there's a curiosity there, and there's a there's a knowledge lack that we crave, and it's really important that we start from a biblical foundation because God's the creator of it, and that He also gave a foundation, a framework, and He also gave boundaries, um, especially when it comes to well, this particular question with gender identity. You know, God doesn't want you to be confused about how He created you. His desire is that you be shaped in the way He's created you to, to be able to love Him and to walk with Him so that you can love God and love people. Yeah, I think that's good. I, uh, I I think that something that like a fear that a lot of parents probably have is that uh, the the fear of bringing up that conversation. Yeah. Um, I, I think that a lot of them are worried about like, well, what if they don't even know yet? What yeah. you know? What if having this conversation starts putting that stuff on their radar? What if it's not even there? Um, but I find that. A more dangerous game to play would be letting somebody else put those images in their head you know like do you want to be the one to introduce that stuff to them and introduce it correctly in a a biblical uh manner like you just described or do you want them to find out from a kid at school who heard his older siblings talking about it (laughs) and now they're joking around and then your kid goes home and starts googling you know yeah um and freaking kids eight-year-olds have phones now uh-huh and younger than that <laughs> and they know how to use them there it is i we we babysat uh, a lot whenever i was growing up okay um and there was this kid that we had watched for their whole life pretty much and uh he couldn't have been older than eight but he had a phone and i remember one time just grabbing his I didn't grab his phone. Give me your phone. Yeah, yeah. I picked up his phone, and uh, I, yeah. th- I think I was going to search something for him. He was asking questions. Anyway, there were stuff that had already been Googled on his phone that, you know, like, this kid is just curious about things. Yeah. And so he's basically going through the beginning stages of of finding out about all of this sexual stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a road that is I, I don't know if, if you can help but cross the road, but I think maybe if, if the parents are there to guide their kids yeah, so they don't get is. hit by a truck on their way across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? That's a great analogy. Because the conversation's coming whether they expect it or not. You yeah. So and so down the street's gonna be talking about it. Because they heard it in a song that was popular or they saw it come across their screen. Mm-hmm. That conversation is coming uh, to your child as a parent, whether you you know, prefer it or not. It's just you doing something in the early stages of it to help them not be as caught off guard. It's going to catch them off guard either way. And sometimes your kids just lean into it. They're just like, oh, this, is, this gives me attention mm-hmm. or it gives me status because I can speak to it. But that as a parent, you just have to address that. It's a whole other topic. But I think uh, it's important that you just have confidence in yourself being able to talk, some, you know, starting with your child early on. And just let it naturally grow into a little more uh, just transparency. Um, either way, it's, like you said, Nathan, it's just better you start as the parent having that from the get-go mm-hmm. instead of someone else. Cool. Yeah. I think you guys, you you and Rebecca do a really good job of having a, a transparent line of communication between your kids. I don't know if I've ever met. Uh, I appreciate that. It's pretty humbling. Parents who are as 
or I've never met kids who are as transparent to their parents as your kids are. <laughs> it was it was a little shocking to me whenever Man, I first met you guys. I'm going to be 43 in June, Jeez. and I still squirm at some of the stuff that you know Zacchaeus or Grace wants to talk about. And it's just, you know, again, it's just like, all right, you know, it's just not an everyday conversation I'm anticipating to have, but if it's important to them in the moment, if they've heard something, came across something, and they are willing to bring it up, then I got to be eyes and ears ready just to say, I may be uncomfortable, but let me hear what you're saying. And then we can start kind of sifting through our foundation. You know, what mm-hmm. do you think, you know, God would say about that from the scriptures? Yeah. What has he already said? And then what are some action steps, you know, kind of like debunking that thought or even just, you know, speaking to that issue. Like that would be an issue in families if that was lived out or that portrayed or whatever they, you know, again, information. So, um, yeah, starting somewhere, you know, being transparent and then just letting that conversation grow. Can prevent a lot of trouble. Yeah, I mean, even with, you know, good kids, you know, just know as a parent, if you're like, my kid's a good kid. Yeah, absolutely. Again, the curiosity of just our, our human nature. Right. Um, you still have a good spirit. You still have good intentions. There's just some things that just catch you off guard, and you may not be as prepared for it, but, you know, don't lose sight. Don't lose heart. The big thing is just loving your kids through that, but, you know, always pointing back to Christ, the purity of the gospel, the purity of how God's wired you, and even if that seems to be a little out of balance, you know, God is redemptive, and He redeems those things, and those are that's a big that's a big thing to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. So, all right, cool. Big questions. Big stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We have uh, what's that third one there? <sighs> this is a this is one that um, some people may say it's a little archaic, but I think it's definitely not <laughs> um, because God does still speak. So the listener that texted in, uh, let's see here. Uh, it was actually the same person. They just said, hey, actually, on another topic, I just sent the the one question ahead of this one, but said, uh, my other question is, does God still speak? Um, that's really great. Um, I mean, easy answer, Nathan. would be yes, he, he does still speak. He speaks through a few, a few uh, ways, and three of them are the primary ways. But Because um, we can go through life th- thinking that God just all of a sudden shows up and is silent with us. I face that. I know many others face that, whether in ministry or just as a follower of Jesus, regardless, or even people who don't know him yet. They're just like, I don't know if God hears me. I don't know if he's even speaking. Um, but there are scriptures that there are authors have written that were inspired by the Holy Spirit that communicated that, yeah, God still speaks. Um, in Psalm 28, it says to you, O Lord, I call. So here I am crying out to you. You're my rock. Uh, but don't be a deaf ear to me. So he's basically, you know, the author is saying, I don't feel like you hear me, or at least you're not speaking. Uh, lest if you lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Uh, another passage was Psalm 83. Oh God, do not keep silent. Do not hold your peace or be still, oh God. So in the human framework, there's times where we're going to feel like this, you know, God's not saying anything to me. So I don't know if I should be following or not, or you start kind of questioning or cultivating doubts about your faith. But here's the thing. God still speaks. Even whatever you're going through, He is still speaking to you. Um, there's a couple stories about you know feeling deflated, feeling defeated. But I want to encourage you today. God still speaks, number one, through His Word. So if you're you know if you're spending time in God's word, you get your Bible open, you're reading words on those those words on the page, He's speaking to your heart. So yes, He still speaks. Secondly, when you pray. He's speaking to you whether you'd recognize it or not, but primarily through his word, through worship and prayer. And then lastly, God uses his body, the the church, to be able to speak to you. When you have an accountability partner, you have someone who's walking with you in your spiritual journey. You know, whatever that framework looks like of someone who loves Christ, is devoted to Christ, and they're speaking truth and love, they're God the Holy Spirit speaking through them to be that mouthpiece to keep you on track with your walk with Christ, with your walk with God, and making sure that He is first and foremost in your life. Because um, when He is number one in your life, when He is first and foremost, all these other things will fall into place. And Jesus talked about that when people are talking about seeking this or seeking that. And Jesus is like, hey, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things, they're going to be added unto you. And whether it be good things, you know, bad things, if somebody say this is bad things, Regardless, there will be things that line up because your your focus was on God. So, you know, to the listener who texts that in following, I just, yeah, God still speaks. And uh, when you feel like there's seasons of dormancy, Scripture talks about other people, other, you know, the biblical authors who were inspired, who wrote, they were like, I feel like God's being silent. 
but he's not. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's a victorious warrior. He's The scripture says he exalts over his people with joy, uh, and he will continue to shout his praises over you uh, because that's who he is. He loves you. He cares for you. So whatever you may be going through in your circumstance, don't equate that to God's presence in your life. He loves you. He cares for you. He's speaking to you. Hmm. Do you think he, uh, like, audibly speaks to anybody? Like, just uh, like the booming voice? Yeah, from the- I've heard that several times from other pastors, missionaries, who've like had this like incredible encounter. And those three examples I gave about how God speaks even to this day through His Word, through prayer, through fellowship, um, I've heard close pastors say it, but I heard His voice. That's, that's powerful. You know how that happens? That was cultivating a daily walk with Christ where you became more familiar with His voice because of His Word, the eternal truth of God's Word, and you adapted. This is how this reconciled my mind that you heard his voice because of his word. It wasn't something way out there outside of his word hmm. because God is faithful to his word. So because he's faithful to his word, he's faithful to you in the way he speaks to your heart. That's hearing his voice. Um, so to be able to characterize and say his voice sounded like this, that's one thing they couldn't speak to. Like, this is how I heard his voice, but because you know, their walk with you know the Lord in that way, they heard his voice. If that makes sense. It's like, uh, for instance, if, if you were to go out and, in a busy, busy street and you were to grab a, a, a big old microphone yeah. and a boom box yeah. <laughs> and were to start talking, a lot of people wouldn't recognize your voice. Yeah. But if they listen to our podcast, then they'd be like, wait a minute. I know that voice. I know that voice. That's yeah. Jay Wes. Yeah. And then you would know. Jay Wes uh, sounds like... God. <laughs> That was really hard to say because it's very like uh, uh, heretical. Uh, no, I know what you're saying as the example. That's really yeah. funny because whenever I think, if I heard God's voice, what did he sound like it audibly? Like J. West Crockett. I've heard my voice on a microphone. Is that what it would sound like? Yeah. Because then I, you know, the way I hear my voice is like this. Hey, everybody, how's it going? You know. No, that's <laughs> like, how we hear it too. No, I know. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> but no, I think there's just a lot of you know, so that no one's feeling like they're missing something. I mean, those three primary things, when those are in line, you're, you're going to hear his voice. Mm-hmm. And yes, he still speaks because the scripture says the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces bone, it pierces our thoughts, it pierces the very depths of who we are because it's living and active. It's the eternal word of God, here and now and then now and forever. So it just has this continuing, continual, perpetual effect and God's voice will continue to speak. And I know we could get into something else um, because the transition from Old Testament to New Step, New Testament, you know, the book of Malachi to, you know, Matthew, the 400 years of silence. It wasn't that God was not speaking. It's just the way he was moving. And there's, again, there's more that we can talk about, but let me kind of relate this to a personal situation. So there's an author out there, a Christian author named Randy Alcorn. He's written a lot of great material. Uh, Randy Alcorn. Anything sound familiar? Yeah. And how do you know of him? Alcorn, there there was an Alcorn that worked at BBC. Really? Baptist Bible College. No way. I think it was like Terry maybe, or something. Maybe they were family members. Maybe. Now I have to look that up. Continue. So Randy Alcorn, who wrote this particular article in DesiringGod.org, which is a ministry of John Piper of Bethlehem Church in Minnesota, but um, he was saying as an example- That's him! Is it? Is it really? This is the dude? Well, what the heck? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, cool. So you met his family member at BBC. I guess. Dude, awesome. All right. Anyway, sorry. No, it's, I think it's cool. There's like a connection there beyond just this conversation. You're like, I've met that dude's family. Yeah, he's a real person. He's a real person. <laughs> but Randy Alcorn was sharing about his wife, Nancy, that here's you know two God-fearing people who love the Lord, and his wife, Nancy, is going through chemotherapy treatments for cancer. And he was sharing that, you know, just that it just had ended, you know, very recently. And during that time of just asking the Lord, seeking the Lord, he was sharing just transparently. He was reading from this book, uh, Andrew Murray's Waiting on God. You know, kind of like waiting on, you know, an answer, waiting on provision, waiting on healing, whatever it might be. He was reading this from Andrew Murray's um, book. And so he said, one of the things in there is it said, it is God's spirit who has begun the work in you 
of waiting upon God. So like those moments of silence, God's spirit who has begun the work in you of waiting on God, that he will enable you to wait. Okay, wow. Like that was like super insightful because you have a real life altering concern for your spouse going through cancer. You love Jesus, but why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And he's writing from the perspective that God's enabled him through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit to allow him to wait until that next step is to occur. And he, he ended this sentence. He said, waiting continually will be met and rewarded by God himself because he's working continually. So just like his testimony of like going through something super sensitive and, you know, very close to their family, of course, between them as a couple, to be able to confidently say, I know the Lord hears me and he is speaking to me even though I wait. Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier in the podcast tonight about the wisdom that you're seeking, you know. Where are you seeking the wisdom? Who is the possessed, the possessor of that wisdom? Is it God? Is it some other person? You know, the point being, go back to God, and He's going to enable you uh, to be able to wait in a way that sees Him be most glorified in it. Hmm. I think I may have jumped the gun about this guy. Being okay. Really, oh man, you got me all so excited. excited. I was, I was excited. I was like, yes. <laughs> uh, man, that guy looks familiar, though. Maybe he's like second cousin. Maybe. Maybe, maybe I've just seen this guy. <laughs> on like videos at church or something. Anyway, there's an Alcorn at QC. Sorry. That's cool. Then I mean a sideline. And you were a student there. And I was. Not that long ago. A year. I don't know if I call myself a student. I wasn't. I remember when you and I were texting back and forth textbook covers of books that you had just purchased. Or maybe they were given to you. I was like, oh, I've read that. And I've read that. Nathan, you're going to love that. You're going to love this chapter. And you're like, didn't read any of them. (laughs) Dad didn't even read it. And I was like, what? Nathan, uh, I still have some of those. Way to get, take, take all the cliff notes. Oh, uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> really sorry. I didn't mean to, you were. S- You're good. It's been answered. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. I was just going to say, get familiar with God and you'll recognize his voice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's like this, like, like closing thought, I guess, to kind of close it up. But the point is this, is if we lean on Christ, um, you know, while we wait for him, that God's going to give us the grace to wait, uh, to listen carefully, you know, as we pray. And then, like we talked about, having trusted other Christ followers who love the Lord and love people, um, that there's great balance there. And as we seek them for encouragement, you know, it's just keeping His Word open and then asking Him through prayer. It's the, it's kind of goes back to the ask, seek, and knock of Scripture. And I had actually shared that verse with my college roommate, man, back in 1997. And uh, he was, like, really questioning you know, if he even knew the Lord, which was fascinating as it was. Cause I'm like, wait, you've went to church before? You you know what some of these things are? And like the more we talked about life and spiritual things, it was like, dude, well, let me ask you, like, do you know Christ personally? And of course he was like, I don't, I don't really know if I do, but here's what I do know. I'm like, then let's start right there. And I remember sharing with him, ask, seek, and knock from the scripture. And the look he gave me was just like this light bulb of like, oh, I remember. Yeah, he didn't have to tell me with words. He was just like, I've heard that and I know what that means. And I know that I need to be getting back with the Lord. And it was cool. Like the last semester of college, like I saw a change in him and had nothing to do with me, had everything to do with God. And that was the point. That's where his focus started leaning toward. And we parted our ways after that year and uh, never kept in touch. But it was like one of those things that challenged me, like, where's my focus? Even in that conversation is huge. Hmm. So. Do you want to? Okay. So we have another question that I just pulled off Reddit. Okay. Or we could talk about toxic masculinity. We got Monster trucks and meltdowns. All right. We got 11 do, do, minutes. Do. Oh, nice. Elevens. Yeah. <laughs> Eleven. Which in the race world, if you can lay down some elevens on the pavement, that means you got poly traction because you got a really beefed up car or truck or, you know, whatever you're driving. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Laying, right. laying down elevens. You've never heard that? No. It's where you got both rear tires spinning because of that, you know, that torque that's running through your transmission, and you just just lay it down on the concrete. Elevens, yeah, positive traction. You learn something new every day. But and I'm way, not even a car guy. Like I grew up with car brothers, but like I don't, I don't have to work on a car. I can change the oil. Like Zacchaeus, my tw- you know my 20 year old, he's like, Dad, here's how you change this. And I'm like, I don't know what we're looking at. Like, what are we looking at? <laughs> the turntables. He has yeah, you holding exactly. the flashlight for him. He does. <laughs> he says, Dad, can you <laughs> can you hold the flashlight? Sure. Where? Like, <laughs> not, not there. As he yells at you. Exactly. <laughs> 
Um, by the way, if you have any questions, 816-787-1511 is our text, uh, is our shock therapy text line. Um, feel free to text us if you're driving down the interstate one day and a question pops up, don't forget it. And then once you're in a a safe location, preferably in a parked car, um, (laughs) that's good. That's good. good Then you can, uh, then you can text it 816-787-1511. Just save it in your phone as shock therapy. That way, whenever you get a, a light bulb moment or uh, you get a question, then you can, then you can text it. And then, uh, once a month. The first podcast episode of every month yeah. is a shock therapy. Boom. There we go. All righty. Toxic masculinity. Speaking about therapy, <laughs> right? <laughs> Real men don't need it. <clears throat> False. <laughs> uh, toxic masculinity. I think that's something that is still prevalent. Yeah. However, I think that the, the current generation's are doing a good job of, um, what'd be the word? Is that my, my throat or your throat making those noises? I think my throat is making like minded too. That's that's what I'm like. Oh, uh, anyway, sorry. Go for it. Sidetracked. Um, anyway, I think the current generations are doing a good job of like suppressing that a little bit of making it okay for guys to cry and seek therapy and hug. Hugging is really nice guys. If you haven't hugged somebody in a while, you should try (laughs) Um, well, I don't know. It's COVID. Maybe I shouldn't encourage people to hug, hug somebody at home, hug your parents, side hug, side hug. There you go. You can't exchange germs. If there's only one arm, you just hit shoulders. So it's like standing in a concert, (laughs) (laughs) which we also don't still can't do. Never mind. Okay. Never. (laughs) Good point. But anyway, have you ever encountered toxic masculinity? Yeah. Um, my goodness. Uh, I think one of the, the worst experiences was freshman year in high school. Um, I witnessed to a greater degree in college. Um, and then even just as a grown man, I still see the effects of the fall in, in a lot of guys' lives who just have a sense of entitlement. It's toxic. They think just because they're a man, they have it all put together, but deep down inside, they know they don't. And so there's a cover up mm-hmm. uh, to try and cover that, that insecurity, that lack when the, the bigger idea or the, the greater strength is being able to admit your weaknesses as well as to do something about those. Not that you would override someone else, um, because, again, as we talked about tonight, you're an image bearer, just like the person next to you. And, you know, toxic masculinity, it, it muddies that it gives a really unhealthy view and a perspective of people about you know, men in general, we see a lot of men cut in our culture. They're, they're made to feel, you know, low. And so then a lot of men will compensate for that overcompensate. And then it just, again, it just is super toxic. And mm-hmm. so a lot of it's just, yeah, it's really rough. Um, it's difficult to really, you know, to talk through when someone has been shaped that way. Do you, do you think, all right, I'm going to throw, th- throw this out there. All right. Do you think that toxic masculinity has had a hand in the rise of um, homosexuality and transgender didness? Yeah, I think you can look at statistics. I think you can do studies. I mean, whether it's uh, Christian biblical studies, you know, and like, for example, um, biblical counseling, talking about different personalities or, you know, those sort of concerns, but even just... Um, the toxicity, when you get back to the real issue of our sin nature, that's really where it comes down to. Um, there's always, it's always quick to pass blame on one thing or another, but that's really the root issue is the sin issue. And if we can start addressing that, it starts highlighting some of those concerns of homosexuality and transgender or, you know, whatever that looks like in that, that quadrant of that field. But because of that behavior that's attached to the sin nature, I think um, it can explain a lot of that. And again, the enemy will just run rampant with that because he wants us to be pulled away from our true identity in Christ. Hmm. Just like we identified tonight, you know, God made them uh, male or female, you know, and it's just, yeah, it just gets super muddy because of our sin. And that's one way we saw the early church in the New Testament, the Old Testament, uh, that people were living those lifestyles of homosexuality or uh, misplaced identities. And it just, it's not God's best. It's not God's plan for them. Um, but there's, again, because God is redeeming and restoring, he can take those things when people lay it before him. Um, then that, that component becomes now a strength. 
mm-hmm. uh, to build because now they're going back to where Christ wants them to be and who they are and who God's wired them to be. Yeah. Cool. I, uh, I, I don't have a lot of experience with toxic masculinity. My, my dad is a crier. So it was, it was one of those things that like, well, and everybody in my family is pretty, uh, yeah. emotional. And so it was never like, a, I was never encouraged to hide my emotions or anything. Um, I was never really open about them, but that's more of a, a Nathan problem than a my parents' problem. It depends on how you look at it. But anyway, yeah. regardless. <laughs> um, but anyway, it, it, I, I definitely had friends who, who dealt with it. And I mean, you know, growing up with the internet, you, you read stuff about, mm-hmm. about that kind of stuff. And I think that there was definitely a, a point in my teens yeah. where um, I didn't want to show emotion or admit that I wasn't strong enough to do something or, you know, like, like there's, there's a competitiveness to it, but that only goes so far. And, and then you get to a point where it's like, you're embarrassed. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that is okay because I think there's a level of embarrassment that can encourage you to become a better person. Yeah. Um, to fix your faults kind of, but then there's some stuff that, that, that are just you, Yeah. you know? I got small arms. I'm fine with that. Well, okay, I could work out, but <laughs> you know, in I mean, I never had to deal with like a high pitched voice or anything, so that's not really anything that I had to deal with. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just it's it's just interesting um, how other people have to yeah. have to deal with it. But it's encouraging also to see things change, yeah. and I, I definitely think that it's still a problem. Mm-hmm. you know, um, in certain communities and, and environments, probably if I were to like, if, if I were to work in construction or something, you'd probably hear it a lot more, but I think I, I, hopefully it'll be something that down the road, yeah. uh, goes away. Cause I don't think toxic masculinity is like a, it's like an old thing. I think it's a, a more recent thing personally. You know, I was thinking as you were discussing that about the book of Ephesians and how Paul was writing to the church, like, hey, men, um, you need to make sure you're taking care of your, your wives. Um, and here's why. He's like, he writes to both men and women, husbands and wives, but he's getting down to the, the root issue of, man, the men, you need to make sure you're keeping yourself in check. And because there was a layer of toxicity that was happening in the church. Um, and it was not honoring to their spouses, to their wives, and it wasn't putting them in a position that was honoring to the Lord. And so um, it's interesting you bring up of old because it did it did affect from Old Testament to New Testament because, again, it goes back to the root issue of our sin nature, um, which muddies it all. But the fact that how you spoke to it in the current day, Nathan just shows that there's a handle there that you could speak, that you can speak to that helps dismantle some of the toxicity of it because it's getting back to the heart of God and not to the heart of man, which has fallen. Mm-hmm. And so, gosh, we have a lot to learn from that. But man, you know, when we read tonight in Genesis, um, the story continues about, you know, Adam and Eve and, you know, man for woman, woman for man, the beauty of that in, in, in human sexuality uh, to help minimize the toxicity from the point that when sin entered the world, that the grace and mercy of God would restore what was broken. And that is still available to this day. And that's where it goes down to as followers of Christ. Um, like you said, I'm a crier too. I will cry. <laughs> but there are times where I haven't cried for a while. But then when I feel it happening, Ooh. it's like it's whoo, a floodgate. Sometimes and early, you need it. Yeah, and you need that. But in high school, I thought I was weak and it brought me shame. Nope. And yeah. that was a mixed bagged view because of the influence of what was toxic. I, I remember reaching those points as a teenager yeah. and just like laying in bed crying Dude, and being like, what is wrong with what's me? What's wrong with me? Like, I don't, I, I cannot control yeah. my emotions right now. And all of a sudden you start inflicting self-shame. Like, yeah. am I just not man enough? Why am I feeling so weak? You know, you start feeling that way when right. there's nothing to do with anything at all. Yeah. We're all human. There it is. 
sometimes you need a good cry. A good cry. I think we should make a Vent Lab shirt. Sometimes you just need a good cry. <laughs> uh, if you guys want to see a uh, good cry shirt, <laughs> you can also text that to 816-787-1511. Jay West, thank you for being here. Man, Nathan, it was um, great to converse, conversate yeah. on this shock therapy. I, I, do think, miss my, I do miss my wife. Yeah. So I feel so bad that she's not feeling good. Listeners, thank you for just thinking of her, praying for her. Uh, it means a lot. <sighs> She'll probably be here Friday. Yeah. Assuming she doesn't like die between now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Migraines are rough, man. Yeah. It's but tough. until then, my name is Nathan. I'm Jay Wes. We'll see you later. Peace. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs>